Hello and welcome back to another episode of Under the Lights. This week we are looking through the best Southampton eleven of the Premier League era as chosen by you, the fans. Let's get into it. My name's Tom Murray. My name's Callum Wilson. This is Under the Lights and we're off to Kingsland Corner. So, straight into it then, Tom. We've, uh, we've gone to the Twitter, football Twitter, Southampton fans, um, asked them to answer the question once and for all, who are the best Southampton players in the best Premier League team um, of all time? So, since 92, in its inception, we've, uh, we've asked everyone for uh, the best play in every position. We gave four options of, of to our you know, opinion, who, who were the best that we've seen um, in those positions. And, and you know, we don't really have too many arguments. Um, doesn't make a lot of difference sometimes who, who that fourth choice player is in the nominees because some of them, there were some obvious winners. But uh, yeah, we went with a, with a Hassan-Hutzel 4-2-2-2. Uh, or a four-four-two, old school, if you like, to try and fit some attacking players in there because those are the ones we always want. Um, should we start with the goalie then, between the sticks, as we always do? I think that's the only place to start, Callum. Um, we had well, our four options for that one were Dave Besant, Paul Jones, Fraser Forster, and the Scottish number one, Ante Niemi. Um Now, Callum, you sort of. You came up with the options regarding Besant and Jones because you're a little bit older than me. Sorry about uh, bringing bringing the age up, but why why in those p- two in particular? Uh, in all honesty, um, games played and and contributions. I mean, what what we will find uh, we, as we go through these and and once we get to that team at the end is when you think about Southampton and their Premier League years. There was a first stint and there was a second stint with the, with the relegation and, and um, football league uh, romance that we had for, for a few years. Um, and what you'll find is up until 2005, the majority of the players um, will come after 2000 and what, 2012 we came up. So there won't be too many options. Bess and, and, and Jones, I think, were the best of uh, of the bunch with the goalkeepers we had then, but we were always struggling. We were always just staying up by the skin of our teeth, minus a couple of seasons. That sort of o two o three season with the FA Cup final, the eighth place finish being being obviously the best. But you know, afterwards when we've had the glory of of European football and um, constant top eight finishes, uh, a lot of decent players. Um, You'll find that, along with probably, it's fair to say, the age of a lot of uh, our followers and, the, and Twitter users have a lot more um, recent memory, but experience of the players more recent. So, with with Besant and Jones, uh, as you as you asked, those those were the, the the mainstay goalkeepers. You had a few others in there who who um, came about for a season or, or two here or there, the likes of Tim Flowers, who was obviously brilliant um, throughout his career. Shilton was a bit early for this. Um, Grobelar came along for a little bit. But in terms of, of guys who, who kept goal for Saints um, for a number of years and contributed a lot to keeping us in the Premier League for so long, 
uh, Besson and, and Paul Jones were the uh, were the two um, nominees, and then of course another one before the relegation uh, was actually with us when we were relegated, Antony Amy, um, and then Forster, Fraser Forster, who was uh, part of such a, a great few years and a solid defence post-championship. Yeah, and I think a lot of uh, fans may have thought that Forster, he did, he was part of that really good run under Cumin, where I think we kept six clean sheets in a row, made some phenomenal saves. But if we're looking actually at the result of the poll, this was a bit of a landslide, um, Callum. It was, uh, th there was only going to be one winner in the end. Yeah, uh, what we're going to do as we go through this is uh, me and Tom picked our own winners. We voted in the polls as well. Um, we'll explain who, who we think deserves to be in each place and then obviously um, announce the, the, the winners via your polls uh, and your votes. But uh, I think this one was obvious from the start. Um, and actually, I think it was the most, it was the most voted poll, the first one. Um, and I think one of the most convincing ones. Um, and we voted for him, as did 84% of, uh, of the voters. And it was um, the flying Finn, Antini Amy, who, uh, who I don't think too many can argue against being uh, the best Stampton goalkeeper in the Premier League era. What, just, just briefly, what were your memories of him and, and why do you think he's won and so convincingly? In terms of my memories of him, I mean, I started supporting Saints in 2005, so a great time uh, to be a Southampton fan. So in terms of what I've seen of him, it's a lot of YouTube clips from before, but, you know, you talk about the double save against Arsenal, just and the fact that he was so widely regarded as a great goalkeeper throughout the Premier League, amazing reflex saves as well. And I, I personally did vote for him uh, because whilst Forster would have probably been my next choice, he's been inconsistent. Whereas Antini Amy, he's, he's just seemed to be not, not always phenomenal, but at a very high standard and regarded as one of the better goalkeepers in the Premier League at that time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. At the time, he was uh, at a time where there were really good goalkeepers in the Premier League. I remember for, for a good period, um, you, you could say maybe him and Carlo Codicini in in that sort of season where Saints uh, finished eighth were up there uh, maybe with another in the top three so he, we're not just talking best Southampton of, of all time but at the time in the Premier League and my memories of Naomi were I just I just remember every single week he pulled off a world-class save um, it was so difficult to get past him we had good defenders but when, when Strachan came in and we'd had the likes of Jones before, he seemed to bring in a few players that just took us to that next level. Uh, we weren't relegation fodder. We weren't in the, in the, um, in the dogfight all the time. And uh, it got us to, a, to an FA Cup final, um, albeit an FA Cup final loss, and, uh, and a personal best eighth place finish in the Premier League. And the Amy was a huge part of that. I mean you don't get much uh, recognition as a goalkeeper, but I do, I do remember the Charlton away where uh, everyone dyed their hair yellow towards the end of the season in, in honour of, uh, of Niamey. And um, yeah, yeah, he was a fantastic goal, goalkeeper, shot stopper mainly, um, flying through the air all the time. And, uh, and yeah, he, he, for me, by far and away the best. And that triple save against Arsenal was, was, uh, was, was phenomenal. Um, Let's go into the back four then. Where do you want to start, left or right? 
or in the middle? I think we should go with the right back because that one caused a little bit of controversy on Twitter. Um, so the four options that we went for were Klein, Cedric, Kenner and Dodd. However, we did have a few comments about asking about the omission of Carl Walker-Peters. And I think, yes, he is a very good player, but come on, he's only played, what, 15 games? It's a bit too early to throw him into the best Southampton eleven. Yeah, there are a few that you could um, could maybe question. Uh, this this was as tight as it got. Uh, there was only one percent in it, um, and and yeah, we didn't want to put Carl Walker Peters forward because he's not even played a full season for us. He's had a good start, but I think sometimes it's quite easy to get caught up in what's happening with your team at the moment when you're in good form, um, and I. I think maybe some of the fans might have voted for Cole Walker-Peters when in reality he's not quite given us yet what what some of these other right-backs have given us. And um, we didn't really want to put that, dangle that carrot in front of people because sometimes you can watch someone week, week on, week out and um, and think, oh yeah, they're phenomenal and without even assessing the options, vote for them. So uh, yeah, we went with... Um, Jeff Kenner, Jason Dodd, Klein and Cedric. Um, and it was a two-horse race, um, 46% winning it. So no, no one even got half the vote. So it wasn't a landslide. Um, 45% for second place, 46 for the winner. So there was only 1% in it. Um, and in second place was Jason Dodd. Um, and in first was Nathaniel Klein. And I think that is the right call. I think Klein has been, he was a superb right back for us. Although maybe, I don't, uh, this, this may be an unpopular opinion, but I feel it, he's almost like Wan-Bissaka in the case of maybe makes up defensively from the fact that he's so quick. So if he is caught out of position or he can, um, if he gets a bit too far up, then he could use his pace to go back and make a great challenge. And maybe that sometimes um, glazed over the fact that sometimes he did get caught out of position. And I know certainly for Crystal Palace, uh, Lambert used in the championship used him quite a bit at the back post to, uh, to get over him. But for me, going forward, I don't think Saints have had a better right back. And of course, in terms of uh, a, a personal memory for myself, I was at the Emirates when Klein hit it from 40 yards. So um, yeah, I, I, I think he's a deserved winner. Jason Dodd obviously is a club legend, but if we're looking at ability as well, then I think Klein in his prime, because he's nowhere near that now, um, but in his prime at Saints was almost the full package that he wanted as a right back. Um, I was one of the other half. I, I was on the, the opposing side. Um, I didn't think you could really look past Jason Dodd. Um, 16 years a player at the club. Captain the side for a large number of those games. Um, scored 13 goals. Penalty taker at right back. I mean, you've got to be a, a serious, uh, serious player, serious character in the dressing room if you've got those players around you and you are the uh, the penalty taker obviously when the tizier wasn't wasn't playing um and and then he you know he, he managed caretaker manager briefly um still with the club uh is it working with the academy has you know for a while 
Um, I believe he's still there. So, yeah, Jason Dodd. Um, some of my memories, you know, down down the Dow of of him. Um, he, he played with a lot of players, and he was season after season he was there as the first choice right back um, into the into the new millennium. So, yeah, I, I get Klein, and he's he's an athlete. Uh, defensively, he's fantastic. Maybe going forward, not the greatest. But I just think in terms of who would who would I want in terms of character and leadership, um, and people forget Jason Dodd. You know, he had a fantastic delivery as well from from right back. So um, and he was a competitor. He could defend. So Jason Dodd was my vote. Uh, but that doesn't matter because us us Jason Dodd voters were um, were outranked just by uh, by those for the Nathaniel Klein. Um, Maybe it might have been uh, an age thing. So a few of us older ones might have gone with Dodd and then uh, a, a few younger might have gone with Klein. But I think um, you can't really argue with having either of those in your in your Southampton best 11. No, and from the way that results are going, especially so far, and I think throughout we'll see a theme of there's certainly, you know, the pre uh, the pre-2005 clan, as it were, voting for those particular players. And then obviously a lot of our fans and a lot of our listeners as well are going to be a lot sort of maybe centered towards the post 2012 era. Um, so it's, there's, there's a good, there's a good balance, but I think um, the, the right two were ahead of the pack for, for the right backs, if I'm being completely honest. And um, it, it definitely was close to court. Now, so we've got Niemi and Klein nailed into the side now. Let's ignore the centre-backs just at the moment. Uh, but let's go over to the left side now, to the other full-back. Um, this one, again, I think, I, I, I think it was not as, obviously not as close as, as Klein and Dodd, but still there was a bit of a, bit of a close-run thing between the, the two winners, if I remember correctly. Who did we go for at left-back? What well, were our four choices? What, what, was, what was good about this is that we had four good options. Um, not, not that we haven't before, but uh, hotly contested. You know, we've always had a good left-back at Southampton throughout the Premier League, and you can tell by these options. Um, we're always going through these in, in order of, you know, date chronologically. So, um, you know, club legend Francis Benali, uh, Wayne Bridge, and then after the relegation uh, and promotion, uh, Luke Shaw, and of course Ryan Bertrand, who's uh, still the number one left back at the club. Um, Luke Shaw only got seven percent. Then Wayne Bridge got twenty-five. In second place with twenty-seven was Francis Benali, and Ryan Bertrand actually won this uh, with forty-two percent, which did surprise me. Um, in all honesty. And then once I saw that he'd won it and at a canter, I started to think, actually, you know, are we give, am I giving Ryan Bertrand a bit of a disservice? Because I, I, I thought it would be between Benali and Bridge, in all honesty. Um, and then you realise how long Bertrand's been here and what the club's achieved in that time. You know, European football, top six finishes, cup finals, um, survived all the managers and and he's he's always seven out of ten you know, you, you, and the guys won a champions league so it can't be that bad um who did you vote for i did vote for ryan bertrand and, and here, here's why because i remember when he came in and it was that summer of turmoil the fact that lalana lambert lovren shaw had all gone and you're looking at jay rodriguez and schneidlin being sold off too 
and you're thinking, okay, we brought in Tadic, we brought in Pella, a couple of good signings, we've got Kuman, and then you're thinking, you've got to do something more, Southampton. You've got to, uh, we've lost our left back, otherwise we're going to be relying on Danny Fox at left back, and no one wants that. And I remember, I, I, even with the signings of Tadic and Pella, I was just still feeling very much deflated because we'd lost the, the core of the team that had risen through the leagues. And then you see that Southampton have signed Ryan Bertrand on a six-month loan deal. And he just had a very underwhelming loan spell at Aston Villa. And you're thinking, oh, I, I mean, okay, I'll give him a chance. But no, it wasn't one to really get you off get you off your seats and think that's a great signing. And it was safe. It was safe, wasn't it? It getting was safe. A, getting the experience in short term. Yeah, safe. Getting the experience in short term. Uh, but very much a case of, I'll take it. It's a player. Give, since then, he's been probably one of our standout performers, performers across all of the seasons that he's been here. And as you said, seven out of ten. Rarely has a bad game. Yes, sometimes it looks like he doesn't have he doesn't have the right attitude. But he's also he's quite he seems like quite a shy, um, not introverted person. But he he he, he doesn't always show all of his emotions but maybe that's just how he is but always puts in a huge amount of effort and he's he's captain the side as well and you keep on reading stories about Chelsea want to sign Bertrand Liverpool want to sign Bertrand City are looking at signing Bertrand even when he's maybe been a seven and a half out of ten or something throughout us that shows just how consistently good he has been in that time and in a lot of the games he's been exceptional yeah, I mean, you, you put a good case forward there. And it's, it's something you said is quite interesting. I wonder, you know, he's, he's been there and he's been one of our standout players since he arrived. I wonder if anyone over the last five or six seasons has been better over that period of time than Ryan Bertrand. I can't think of many players that have started every game that they're pretty much available for. Played at that consistent level, you know we've had good players, but a lot of them have left, as we know. Um, and Ryan Bertrand's been there, and he's turned up, and he's uh, and he's delivered. Um, going on to some of the others, Francis Benali, I think gets the he gets the kind of nostalgic vote. He gets that um, he gets a vote for his for his character rather than his ability, because you know he was he was great at what he what he was. He was a fighter. Um, he was competitive. He was tough in the tackle. Uh, he got a few red cards, um, and and he wore his his heart on his sleeve. And I think at that time in the nineties, that's what Saints fans wanted from their defenders. But the, you know the position changed as it went on, um, and in the end, Wayne Bridge came in and and took that place from Benali. Um, came in through the academy, and I think. Yeah, I think Francis Benali would would admit himself that when he came through, Wayne Bridge was offering things technically that that we weren't getting at left back before. Um, my vote went to Wayne Bridge. Um, he was I've got a lot a lot of memories of Wayne Bridge. He was he was the left back that was coming through and was in the first team when I first started going to watch football um, at the Dow and that kind of very late nineties. Um, he he was fantastic for us going forward, but defensively as well. He was always a solid pick. Locke Bertrand would start every game. And he was so good for us that um, Chelsea got taken over and he was one of their first signings. 
And I think that's probably what tips it for me is that Wayne Bridge for Southampton was a player that was good enough to go and play for the team that then became the champions. He was so good for us that he outgrew us. Whereas, and he went to Chelsea, whereas Ryan Bertrand went the other way. Ryan Bertrand couldn't get in the Chelsea team. So had to lower his level, go out on loan, and maybe go permanently. Um, and ended up with with us and shown what a great footballer he is. But he hasn't gone elsewhere. And although although I think he could, he, he doesn't seem to quite demand those transfer fees and and um and you say he's linked here and there but i never remember a real solid transfer story uh, with any real meat to the bones for ryan bertrand um and i think a lot a lot of fans would vote for bertrand overbridge for that reason you know he he stays at the club loyal bridge left and, and all that stuff but if we're talking about players that if we're going to put together an 11 in their prime of the best footballers um and 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 Wayne Bridge still is a Southampton boy and he's still a Southampton fan. Um, and you hear him on, on other podcasts. He, he's, um, you know, he's, he's some of his fondest memories were, were at the club. And I think, I think if you've got the aiming goal and you've got Klein at right back, it's already a good start. You've got Bridge flying down the other side. Um, I think, I think you brought, you got yourself a, a start of a damn good team. Uh, but again, you know, Bertrand and Klein, not only sounds good, but we saw that you know, on each side. They played in the same team um, and they were both phenomenal in, in that team. Um, and I think there'll be a few others from that sort of Koeman era uh, that will be in this team as well. But yeah, Ryan Bertrand um, took plaudits there and, uh, and he, you know, he's, he's ahead of the bunch and, and still got more to, to offer. So um, going forward, you know, that might stretch even more. Absolutely. So we've got Klein and Bertrand bombing down the wings. Let's go to our two men in the middle. Now, I'd like to start with our, how we did this was we wanted to have a ball-winning centre-back and a ball-playing centre-back. So we'll start with the ball-winning. And we had, well, we had Svensson, Moncow, Dean Richards and Virgil van Dijk. Um, in terms of ability... One of them stands head and shoulders above the rest. But for me, you can't forget how good a player Michael Svensson was. Yeah, I mean, you can... This is a really interesting one because you can put a case forward for all four of these players for, for different reasons. Um, Munkow is a player that I don't have that many memories of because I was too young um, when, he, when he was there in sort of the mid-90s. But... Yeah, tall, commanding figure, won everything in the air. Those long legs. He was a tackler. You know, he, did, he wasn't necessarily a ball player. You know, none of these were necessarily well. Van Dijk was, but a lot of them weren't necessarily the ball players. But you know, you wouldn't get an easy game against Ken Moncal. Dean Richards came in. Don't think he'd get that many votes purely based on the fact that he left us for Tottenham in um, one of many transfers that that didn't really sit particularly well with Saints fans um, and he was a phenomenal player and I think if had he spent more years with us he would have been much much higher up in, in this conversation um, he was a fantastic player and that was the reason that fans were so unhappy to see him leave um, and, and Tottenham wanted him um, 
and uh, and yeah, I think he he was he was a really good player. But it came down to two: um, Michael Svensson again. That that era of the of the final, the FA Cup final, the eighth place finish. Some of my fondest memories as a Saints fan. That sort of time when I was first, you know, first getting a season ticket and first going to a lot of games um, that season. And and it was a season where we were winning and the atmosphere around the club was fantastic. Um, with you know, Strachan as a manager was someone that everyone loved. The players were were doing the business, they were working hard, and you had that kind of building of a of a cup final in the background and that kind of blue and yellow um ticker tape that will forever be remembered in that season and Michael Svensson was massive he he signed same time as Niemi we signed Niemi from Hearts for for two million uh, we signed Svensson don't know where from somewhere abroad but for one uh, one million pound for Michael Svensson what a signing um he was an absolute monster next to London Man. Won everything in the air. And I personally think if Michael Svensson hadn't got that injury um, in at the end of the 03-04 season, which meant that he was out for the entire season that we got relegated, I'd go as far as saying if, if, if he didn't got injured, we would not have got relegated that season. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it. You know, with, with, with the likes of Jakobsen who came in and Kenton and those sorts of players that ended up playing at centre back with with Lundervarm who was aging. I think I think if Killer was there, um, he he yeah we we would have had enough to stay up that season. Um, and his nickname was Killer, and there's a reason for that. He was ruthless. You do not want to be playing against Marcus Vincent. Not at all. Absolutely sensational player. And I actually voted. I voted for him. I take it you voted for him as well. Um, no, you didn't vote no. for him. No. Oh and well, I've just talked him up and how good he is. So you've got to be some player to get a vote over him. Um, but Virgil Van Dijk is some player. Um, so you, you voted for Svensson. So you know, talk about him for a bit, but then we'll go into into the winner, which was Van Dijk. Well, I don't think there's much I can really add to uh, your little um, your little monologue there about uh, Michael Svensson. So um, you've talked him up enough as it is i just think that he wins it for me pure and this is this is where personal opinion comes into it i know that van dyke ability wise is the better player but um the way that he left still is um is quite sour with me so for that reason virgil uh you're not you're not picked and i'm sure that will give you sleepless nights going forward um that you haven't made it into my team but yeah, if we're talking about ability, I mean, Van Dyke probably could get into... Well, Van Dyke gets into every single team in the world at the moment. Yeah. I mean, he's you know, nominated for the for the Ballon d'Or. Would he get final three as a defender um, with with Messi and Ronaldo? So what, what more do you need to say? Um, yeah, there's a reason you're bitter as to why he left us. And that's because, you know, we, we had the best defender in the world at one point which is why he has to be, for me, the winner. And for 66% of, of the voters, why he has to be the winner. Had he not left under the circumstances he did. And, and let's be honest, the, the reason, like you said, you, don't, you didn't vote for him and people maybe don't like him is because we had him and we allowed ourselves to let him go. And he played a part in that. And now we're seeing the player that he's become and what he could have been 
and taken us with him in a way. But yeah, what a player! Um, he, he could have he could have won both centre back positions on this. He could have been our best ball playing centre back of all time, and he could have been our best. Um, commanding player but he, that's what he was when he played for us he was the big man he'd win the first header others would sweep up um, we'll come on to those others but yeah he wins it um, hands down for me he's um, he left us and then went and won the Champions League and then he he and Allison were the reason why Liverpool ended up going and, and winning the Premier League for the first time ever so yeah what, what else can I say but for us he he was he was great and he turned up at the right times in the other end of the box. He was always there defensively. You couldn't you couldn't get around him. You couldn't win a header against him. It was sometimes it's not many one not many times as a Saints fan you see players where you just know you're not getting any change out of them. And you just know they're gonna they're better than the, the player they're up against for a team like us. And Van Dyke was that. It was it was funny. If anyone ever got past him, you you you'd have to rub your eyes and realise that you were daydreaming because that never happened. Um, fantastic player. And he was so silky as well when he was on the ball. You know, he'd win the header, he'd win the challenge, and then he'd decide that, you know, I'm going to take it round about three, four players, take it forward, and then suddenly he's providing the cross down the left-hand side because he's, yeah. he's got a bit of a nosebleed getting that far forward. But, and, and could take a mean free kick as well. Didn't score, didn't score one, but I remember he, I think he hit, the, he hit the bar a couple of times with, with those. So, yeah, we could spend an entire episode talking about just how good a footballer he is, but I feel it's time that we uh, so as, as you can probably tell van dyke did win the vote um so let's choose let's go through the person who who sits alongside him the ball playing center back this one again for me was a i wouldn't i, I wouldn't say a massively tricky choice jim the period that i was a fan but um you've got so you got four really good players in there and it was you, you don't you sort of second guessing yourself thinking do, do I go for that player do I for that player because you got I mean all you got three out of four of them are club legends really if we think about it and yep. one of them had an incredibly good season for us and we were like like Van Dyke we were very lucky to have a player that talented for for that year so um, Callum talk us through those options yeah so again I I, I would have been surprised if the winner didn't turn out the way it did. Um, and I think everyone could probably guess who it is. And when, when most people know who the winner's going to be, or can could probably guess it, even if they voted for someone else, they could probably guess who it was. It was the right decision. Um, we've got Klaus Lundervan, who was at a club for a very long time. Captain the club. He went down with the club and played in the, in, in the championship. Jose Font, again, another captain. Here for a very long time. Uh, Mario Shida and Toby Alderweireld, who's the player you mentioned, yeah, just just played the one, the one season. But the other three, um, real characters and and icons of the club. Um, Yoshida only got six percent of the votes. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, yeah, he was the fourth person we added into this, but deserved to be there. But yeah, he he wasn't always a starter, but he. Uh, you know, people people loved him. People didn't hate him, but a lot of people didn't rate him, and he turned them around. Um, but yeah, fantastic player for the club. He got six percent. Then 
the other two, quite predictably, I think, pr- pretty level. Um, Lundabam got 17% of the votes. Older World got 18% of the vote. And then Jose Font got 59%. So it was a runaway uh, leader. Let's talk about Klaus um, and Toby. Um, as I said, Klaus Lundabam was a player who was at the club from the late 90s all the way through to when we were... Um, he was playing in that season that we failed to get promoted through the playoffs and that penalty shootout loss to Derby. He, he, you know, he was there with the club through that. Didn't score many, but everyone knew where they were when he, when he did um, at that game at Wolves. And um, yeah, I, I think we, we had a, at a time where we had a lot of the commanding centre-backs coming through. Yeah, he would have played, I think, with Moncal, certainly with Richards and Svensson and others. And he was always there, and he was the captain. Um, and in a way, I, you know, I, I think he's pro- he should be second on this list, ahead of Olderverald, purely because of the longevity. Um, but Toby was a better player. It's just a shame that you know there is a lingering um, disjustice and missed opportunity in the way that he left us because uh, we cocked it up as a club in the in the small print. Um, we had him on loan he was unbelievable we should have had first dibs he ended up at Tottenham mm. but but he was a commander and he was a ball player um, and a lot of people I think because he played next to Font uh, a lot of people would have put him in the other half of this vote in, in the commanding players because he won all the headers and he was on that left side of the fence but he was a better football player than, well, not Van Dyke, but Van Dyke has to be a commander. But he was a better football player than the likes of Richards, Monkhouse, Svensson, mm-hmm. which is why he's put him in here. Uh, but it matters little because Van Dyke and Font are our, um, our partnership. And that makes it a, a back four, actually, thinking about it, that all play together at one stage. Yeah, it's uh, flashbacks to that 14 15 season. Uh, no, no, wouldn't be the 14-15 season, 15-16, because Alderweireld was the one before. It, oh, too, too many centre-backs all at the same time. It's getting me confused. <laughs> Late on a Monday night. Um, yeah, that is, uh, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a back four that we got to see in action uh, at the same time. And, I mean, again, we could do a whole episode on how pivotal Jose was for the club and the fact that he came down a level from Crystal Palace to Saints whilst we're in League One and then took the side all the way up to the Premier League. And it still rankles with me now that he didn't play in any of the Europa League group stage matches because if there's any player in that side that deserved to be there at the night at the San Siro, it's got to be Jose. And the fact that people like Cuco Martina played in that game and Jose didn't still still irks me to this day. But centre the uh, the defence and the keeper locked in. I think we should start with the two midfielders that are sitting just in front of them, and let's start with the more defensive of the two. Now, this one was this position, Callum was. I suppose when we were thinking of which four to do, we had a couple of I wouldn't say arguments, but there was definitely discussion about which players should be in it, and I think quite some. Some Saints fans may have been a bit shocked at the omission of Hoybier from this four and maybe the inclusion of Jack Cork instead. But 
I, I, I was more for Hoibia, you were more for Cork. And I think that was where, that was where the discussion uh, came about because, you know, Hoibier has gone off to Spurs and he's proven to be a decent signing for them. Uh, but the options we had were Oriol Romeo, still at the club, Victor Wanyama, who was just a man mountain in the middle, Jim Jilton, a good player from the 90s, and then we got Jack Cork, who, although I went for Hoibier, I think Cork is actually one of the most underrated players that Saints have had. And this may be an audacious um opinion to have but i thought that the partnership with between schneidlin and cork was one of the best midfield pairings in the league at that time even when saints were down in 14th but i'm uh, willing to wear my tin hat and and uh and die on a hill for, for that one so, so you still after after that claim for jack cork are you still saying that you think hoibier deserves to be in that boat instead of him uh, I don't remember you pushing too hard on it. I seem to remember you saying a lot of good things about Jack Cork, and and I said it's Cork for me, and you kind of went, yeah. Okay, you brought up Hoybier, but you you didn't exactly fight fight the good fight for him. You, you're a Jack I, Cork fan. I did not fight the good fight for him. I just thought that people may be a bit surprised by the omission of Hoybier, but yeah, no, like okay, okay, I'll admit it. I've got a shrine to Jack Cork, and. I send him loads of fan mail. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I've got Cork tattooed somewhere on me. No, no, no. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm a big, big Jack Cork fan. Well, let's uh, let's just say that it, I mean it, it mattered little. Like yeah. we said earlier, when you know who do you put in as the fourth choice or the third choice, it doesn't really matter because they neither of them were ever going to win it. Um, it, it was always going to come down to two. Um, we'll talk a bit about Jim Magilton as well because. Uh, a lot of a lot of people might not have seen him play. He was slightly really before my time as well, but I'm aware of, of his contribution. Um, and he was a big reason why, A, why we stayed up so many times, but B, why Matt Letizia played the way that he did. He was one of those players that did the work and and um, and took on the workload for, for Matt Letiz because we all know that he, he didn't do much of the work. Uh, defensively off the ball and allowed him to do what he did, which was keep us in the Premier League year on year on. And um, and, Maj- and yeah, Magilton popped up with goals as well. I don't know really if Jim Magilton was. You know, some of the older fans might be able to to tell us, but I don't know if if you if you pigeonhole him in the same sort of position as a Romeo or a Wanyama or a Cork. Um, and and I guess this, that was my argument against Hoybier as well. We're now seeing at Tottenham what he can do in that position, but he never really played in that position for Saints. He was he was part of a of a box to box midfield role um, and and a two in the middle uh, for for Ralph Arsenal. So there was no holder. Um, but yeah, Magilton came up with goals. He was he was part of those famous wins against Man United. A, a really good player at the Dow. Um, he did only pick up four percent of the votes, which isn't surprising considering the age of a lot of the voters. Um, as I said, I'm 30 and I didn't see much of him myself. Jack Cork picked up six percent. Um, so there are some Jack Cork fans out there as well. Uh, but th- this is one of the hardest decisions of all of the positions for me and I was thinking about it today and this vote was on the 26th of November 
So we're, it was like nearly two weeks ago and I still haven't made my mind up. Um, I did vote for the overall winner, which uh, was Victor Wanyama. So Romeo got 40% and uh, Big Vic got 50%. So we got half the votes, which isn't a landslide. Well, certainly not over Romeo. I mean, the top two got 90% of the votes. So it was a two horse race. Um, and I can see why. And that was predictable. That was really predictable. I mean, I would have been surprised if Magilton or Cork had beaten either of those two. Um, who did you vote for? Because it's hard to separate them two. It really is difficult. I voted for Oriel. Um, I'm a big Romeo fan. And I think it's because the difference is, is Wanyama came in under Pochettino and he was a player that we expected to go straight into the starting 11, a midfield enforcer, tough tackling. I mean, that for his debut against West Brom, where, you know, the likes of Malumbu and Jakob were just getting bouncing off him and they were considered to be a formidable midfield partnership at the time and they couldn't get anywhere near him and he looked like a mountain running around the pitch and he proved to be a really good player. With Romeo, he was brought in, I think, with the idea, I think, five million. He's a squad player. He's a decent player to have uh, in, in the team. Someone around who can fill in the gap when Wanyama's not playing. And Romeo came in and he, he excelled. He made the position his own. And when Wanyama did leave to Tottenham, even though we signed the likes of Hoybier to come in. Romeu then had his best season in a Southampton shirt, and he's continued. He's he's a bit like Yoshida in the ta- in in the case of he kept on going from a run of games to then suddenly be completely out of the picture. I mean, last season before lockdown, we hardly saw anything of him, if we're being completely honest. And then when it was clear that Hoybier wasn't going to sign a new contract and we were going to ship him out at the end of the season, Romeo came in. And since then, barring a couple of misplaced passes, he's been utterly brilliant. And it's that determination, like with Yoshida, to keep on going, never get into a strop. He seems to love the area. He seems to love the club as well. He signed a new contract extension, which we talked about in the previous episode. Um, this is someone who Southampton made made themselves his home and he's made Southampton his home. And I think the reason I go him above Wanyama is because Wanyama, he was as good as he was, silly red cards in games that really, you know, changed the like the complexion of the game. He did, he did uh, have a few strops at some point about wanting to leave. Uh, maybe not as publicised as the likes of Lalana, etc. But for me, Romeu has it's it, it's the attitude to keep on battling back, to go from being out in the cold to fighting his way back in. And you know, we've signed Diallo, who's meant to be a fantastic young player coming through, and he can't get Romeu out of the team at the moment. Cue him being put for Brighton this evening. But you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's hard to hard to disagree. Well, I can't disagree because what, what everything you're saying is is correct. Um, Romeo came in he, and he wasn't a starter. Um, let's remember that he came in as a squad player. He came in as competition. Wanyama left, that left a void, which he came in and and filled and was was brilliant. Um, there was a season. I think he got he may have even got player of the season. You know, under Kuman, um, or was it throughout? It was one well. And one point I want to make before you quickly go on is that he, um, 
we signed him, but another player that was meant to be sort of that tough tackling midfielder that Kuman brought in and Jordi Classy was sort of Kuman's golden boy, as it were. And he still managed to get him out the side. Unfortunately, Classy didn't quite work out. But the fact is, not only has he got to try and get Wanyama out of position, he's then got to get ideally Kuman's favourite player to take around with him with pretty much every team. So, yeah, and 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 I agree. Yeah, you're classy among millions of players, but uh, Romeo has never been in a position where that shirt is his. Um, and if he has a few bad games, it doesn't matter. He's still going to be in the team. He was always competing with others, and he's now competing with Diallo, and he knows a, a slip in form, and he's in. Um, Hoybier, Classy, Wanyama, players before that, Ward Prowse. So. Yeah, and 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 I think I think for that reason I, I voted for Wanyama in the end, despite having seen at times Romeo when he's playing and he's like player of the season and he's yeah there was a period of time where he was our best player like every game, um, and uh, at times he he put in like a perfect performance like a masterclass in that CDM role where he'd never never lose the ball. He's strong. Players would bounce off him. He uses his body well. He'd win the ball back when we thought, you know, we were in trouble. And you're just doing the work that's required in that position. Um, and I think if I'm using my head, I'd vote Romeu. But my I went with my heart and going with Wanyama because what, just Wanyama, I just think, has got that, that X factor that maybe Romeo doesn't. Um, mm. I mean, when we when we signed Wanyama, you said we signed Romeo as a squad player for five million. We signed Wanyama. It was a big statement. It was we'd we'd been promoted. We'd spent a season in the league, having signed a few players, and then that was the second summer. Um, the first under Pochettino, we just got we were we were upgrading everything. Your manager. Um, players, spine of the team. We got Lofren in. I remember when I was on holiday. I remember where I was when we found out. You know, Wanyama had been rumoured from Celtic for a while, and the Premier League fans knew of him, knew what he was doing up in Scotland, knew he was going to come to the Premier League, and they would be brilliant. And we were rumoured on and off with him for a while, and then when they started hotting up those rumours, and we got him uh, for like twelve million, and we signed him. I thought, right. We that was when I was like, we're not going to be fighting relegation this season. We're going to be like looking at top eight, like this, mm. you know, you, this sort of player. Um, he's a, he was a big player before we signed him in my eyes, and then he, yeah, when he turned up, I think I think there were just moments. I think maybe in a funny way, he wasn't as consistent at times as Romeo. We know Romeo was in and out of the team, but I mean over the course of a whole season, but there were these just moments when with Wanyama where you're like, the guy's not even human. Like he was a, a like a beast. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't call anyone that above Wanyama in, in Southampton Premier League history. Like if you see beast, I'm like, that's Victor Wanyama. Mm. Um, he's so strong. And, and he laid the platform for players in front of him to do, what they did, yeah, he got red cards every now and again, but I, I don't mind that in that position, to be honest. You know, it comes with the territory, it comes with the aggression. But, yeah, he wasn't the greatest ball player. He wasn't bad. 
But what he did, you know, it, you do not want to be turning up centre midfield, look across you and see Victor Wanyama on a good day. Um, yeah, so I think just ahead of Romeo, as is with the pole, is Wanyama. And I think that's based on the fact that there were times where he'd do things that you think, I don't know if any other player could do that in this league. Just just consistency and if he'd stayed with us, would have would have um, would have put him a little bit further ahead. But yeah, I'd be happy with Romeo. But it is Wanyama who gets that um, the victory on that one. And we have talked about that one for a bit, but that's just because that's one of the closest, most hard fought ones. Um, and suddenly I'm realizing I haven't looked at this team yet. I'm just going through the poll on Twitter as we go through. There's starting to become a bit of a trend here, um, and we're essentially seeing a team that play together in one way or another. Um, that that red and white stripe top with uh, with Vo on the front is uh, is coming to the prominence, um, and Victor Wanyama is in front of that back four as he was so many times. Should we go on to the next central midfielder then? Four four two. We're playing. Remember. I, I think so. This one was, I mean, we talk about the stature of Victor Wanyama in terms of all the options we've got next to them. They're, they're straplings compared to, compared to the beast. So the four we got, this, this one was a difficult one for me. I mean, first of all, you got, a, 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 again, a club legend in Stephen Davis, who even like Maurizio Pochettino, there's that famous interview when they asked, what do you think of Stephen Davis? And he just makes the face of what a player. Um, and I don't think you uh, incredibly underrated servant for the club. You got Anders Svensson in there as well, and then James Ward Prowse alongside Morgan Schneidlin. Um, I did not go for the winner, if I'm being completely honest. Callum, did you did you pick the the overall winner in the end? Yeah, I did. Um, I think I know who you went for. Let's talk about. Okay, let's talk about. Reveal the, the bottom two and we'll talk about them because they both deserve a mention and then we'll go on to those those top two. Yeah, so we've uh, what order were, did they come in third and fourth? Was it Svensson right at the very bottom? Yeah, 6% and Svensson and then 13% was Stephen Davis um, who is... Davis is the most underrated Premier League footballer of all time. And we've criminally underrated him in this vote as well. But, you know, you can see why with the, with the top two. Um, Stephen Davis is, is a really strange one because he, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a period or a lot of periods in time where Stephen Davis was a shoo-in on the, on the team sheet. Yet every time he played, we were like, we're a better team. We're a better team with him in it. Um, he never puts a foot wrong. He's Mr. Reliable. Like, he never gave the ball away. You'd find him in ridiculous situations. Someone would put him, give him a, a suicide pass or he'd pick up the ball and he'd be surrounded by players and you'd think he might give the ball away here. And he'd find a way out and find a red and white shirt. And you're thinking, how is this guy doing this? And why is he coming on off the bench? Um, you know, captain uh, came in, signed for us as one of Nigel Atkins' first signings when we were promoted. Um, came in from, from Rangers, then he came in from the, the, the SPL again. And we, yeah, he, he, he was a good signing to bring in because we, that took us, we bought a Premier League player. You know, we come up from the championship and we signed a, an experienced Premier League player. Um, 
yeah, and the things he's done with this country, you know, phenomenal. But um, very, very similar to Armstrong now in that sort of essential midfielder, and he's he's in the he's in the pole as essential midfielder, but played a lot on the right hand side of midfield. Just did a job for you, um, motoring along all the time. Uh, fantastic, fantastic player. Yeah, I I, I remember go, when at the games, my friend and I. We'd call him sort of the engine because he never seemed to run out of steam ever. And although he never put in like a 10 out of 10 performance, it was, again, it was always, it was rarely ever below a seven. He was just so consistent and yeah. he, he was, he, he, he went all over the pitch and he did, he did the safe things brilliantly and even had like a killer pass in him as well. And he scored a couple of really good goals as well. I remember in sort of maybe the twilight years under Pellegrino, that really good um, touch and finish against Everton from the edge of the box just to finish off what had been a rout in the middle of some terrible results. I mean, there were plenty of those. That twilight year. years, did you call them? <laughs> I call it the twilight <laughs> years because... Oh. And then Hasenhutl came in and that season where he did go on loan to Rangers, it was very much a case of he wasn't used. He seemed to have lost his... Lost, lost the legs in him a little bit although we had Mark Hughes as manager and who knows I actually think Stephen Davis a couple of years ago in a Hazen Hood team would be would be brilliant but we seem to have oh, yeah. Yeah. Stephen Davis Mark II and Stuart Armstrong but I would have loved to have seen um, Stephen Davis in his prime in this sort of in the setup that he has now and I think I think you're right whilst we've got him as a centre mid um, he would definitely be in that right attacking position I think for for the club yeah. at the moment but he, anyway um, yeah. he definitely just before we go on to that you, you mentioned about under Koeman he, he played his best football under Pochettino who played you know in, in, a, in a similar high pressing style um, you'd have Schneiderlin who's one of these two that we're about to talk about. You have Schneiderlin and you'd have um, uh, Wanyama or Cork. And then as, as a double pivot, and then Davis was was kind of the the deepest line of those front four with uh, Lalana, Lambert and Rodriguez. And, and he'd have license to go and join in um, in a kind of fluent front four that could sort of play anywhere. Um, that's when he was at his best. And that's when he was on the team sheet all the time, keeping the likes of Gaston Ramirez out of that role, um, which took some doing on occasions. But yeah, what about Anders? Or are you gonna you got something to say? On I've Davis? got <laughs> one more thing about Stephen Davis as a memory that's just come to mind under Pochettino was the fact that he was actually I I, I wouldn't be surprised if they all did a sprint test if Stephen Davis was actually one of the fastest players at the club. Because I remember one particular goal, um, and it was Newcastle away of the Pochettino season where we went 1-0 down and it was Jay Rodriguez uh, scored in the counter-attack. And I remember it was just, it was about six Newcastle players running back with just Rodriguez and Davis against them for the entirety of that, of the Newcastle half. And both of them were lightning fast and Newcastle just couldn't keep up with them. And Davis, um, Rodriguez played a suicidal, uh, like a hospital pass in the build-up, which you think, oh yeah, that, that's it gone. And Davis still managed to wait a perfectly um, through ball for Rodriguez to finish it off, where it was one of those where VAR would definitely have a look at it now and it would be like a, a hair, a hair of maybe possibly being offside. But it's just the fact that you've got 
um, like a stream of black and white shirts running back and there's these just these two guys in red. None of the other Saints players are even attempting to keep up with them in the attack. And Stephen Davis is, I think he's quite far behind Rodriguez at the start, but, but at the end, he, he ends up almost overtaking him because he's just going, he's got such a motor on him when he gets going, head down, just, yeah, it, it's almost like when you see Shane Long start running. And like he puts his head down and he just goes and he goes and he goes. So that was a really good memory for me. But yeah, um, Svensson is a difficult one for myself because I never really, I never really saw him play. So I don't know. You've probably got a far better experience on what his style of play is, what he was like. Because for me, I know it's bad as a Saints fan, and he's we've got him in, got him in this, uh, got them in this poll. But if I'm being completely honest, I know little about him. Well, he, Svensson. He was part of the team that got relegated, but his better years were before that. I mean, he turned up just at the turn of the of the new millennium, um, so 2000, 2001, and he he was the poster boy of Sweden. He that he the things he did for Sweden as a nation, a national football team, uh, were ridiculous. He was the poster boy. You know, Zlatan is now, but before that, it was Anders Svensson. Um, Svensson knocked the Archies out was always the uh, the chant as as he did in the 2002 World Cup with uh, I think it was a free kick but yeah when we signed Anders Svensson we were almost signing like the the David Beckham of Sweden like the celebrity I remember that I remember something silly like hearing that there was like a in in a in a poll of of um of the most famous Swedes or something like that he was in like the top four along with like royalty. Um, and he came over to Southampton. Uh, the problems for Anders Svensson is towards the end of his time with us when we got relegated and he left us after that, um, he found himself playing on the left side of midfield, um, maybe because he was more of an attacking midfielder and it makes more sense to play your attacking central midfielder out wide than one of your defensive central midfielders. It just doesn't work. So sometimes he got pigeonholed out there cut in on his right foot but it wasn't really his game he was an attacking midfielder um box to box maybe not known for his kind of defensive abilities but more more you know that goal against Tottenham uh, in the FA Cup was was the the one that most fans will remember back when he had his when he had his long hair and he run from from uh, the centre circle and and bury the ball sort of through the goalkeeper in that 4-0 famous 4-0 win um which started our our run to uh to that famous final in, in Cardiff. But yeah, he's, um, we didn't quite, I feel, ever utilise him uh, at his best. Um, the Swedish national team built around him and they got the best out of him. But we didn't really do that. And um, yeah, and it was unfortunate. It kind of petered out for him at Southampton. But it didn't really peter out for these two players. Um, box-to-box midfielders, ball-playing midfielders, best two of all time, Premier League, Southampton, Morgan Schneiderlin, James Ward-Prowse. One of them got 33% and one got 48%. Uh, Tom, who was was the winner? I I think it's probably predictable. You didn't think it was predictable. I was surprised, but judging, again, it's almost like the Carl Walker-Peters situation of maybe recent events, recent years of of, uh, have swayed it and i think that's what's happened and the fact that he's you know local lad former portsmouth plays now the saints captain and he's doing bits and every time um 
he has a free kick from the edge of the box. It's almost like a penalty now for Southampton. Um, James Will Prowse, the winner. And I think, yes, he's captain. He's been fantastic. He's covering every blade of grass. Whenever we have a set piece, it's a case of, you know, chances are we're going to have a decent, this is going to be a decent effort from us. This, there's a real opportunity to score here. It's not a case with other teams where maybe their free kicks aren't as good. Now, free kick on the edge of the box, you're thinking, right, which corner is he going to whack it in? And I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for him. I went with Morgan because I think Saints have not had a more graceful midfielder than Schneiderlin who could effortlessly play a 45-yard pass that could set up a great attack whilst also do... The, um, the simple bits, technically incredibly gifted, really good midfielder. And I was really surprised that it didn't work out at Manchester United. I really was. And then at Everton, um, fans didn't like him. He didn't seem to have the same work ethic uh, that he did at Southampton. And maybe it's a case of, you know, the grass isn't always greener. And it was there. He's now in France with uh, Nice, I think. I think it's Nice. Um, I, haven't, I have to say, I don't really know anything about how he's doing there, but he for me was a superb midfielder and although he did have that strop when he wasn't allowed to leave he then went and performed probably his best season at the club in that year under Kuman. and it took him a couple of games to get smiling again but when he did I mean the goal against Newcastle very early on in that season was just it epitomized what Schneidlin was all about can play brilliant football can even like put in a few step overs a couple of flicks here and there but also considering how long it took him to get his first goal and how infrequent and how rare it was that he would hit the back of the net he ended up um, scoring actually quite consistently but he wasn't the overall winner no no he did adapt his game you're right and and actually if we're if we're talking who is the best ball playing midfielder Samson's Premier League history it is Morgan Schneidlin and although that's what we've written on Twitter that's that's not quite what we're looking for we're looking for the best overall player that you want in that team um, Morgan Schneidlin was fantastic he was the hub of possession in that team for Hassan at all uh, for Koeman Morgan Schneidlin is probably the only good thing that, um, that I can remember that Rupert Lowe ever did um, signing him uh, just it, we got him just in that season when we got relegated from uh, into League One, so it didn't start greatly for him. A young lad who'd been brought in from France. Um, our podcast we were talking to Dean Hammonds, who he mentioned that once once he knew that he was in the right place and he didn't need to be back in France and that he could settle in Southampton and play good football, then you got the best out of him. Um, didn't score a lot of goals in League One but was pivotal, was class above the players he was playing against. It was easy for him. Same again in the championship. A big part, you know, you think, you think about all the players that went back to back, but when you actually just, just think about Morgan Schneidlin and how good he was in the Premier League, and you think that he was in our team in League One and championship, it's no wonder we got back to back promotions. <laughs> I mean, it is ridiculous that he's playing at that standard. It really is. And I remember a quote from Nigel Adkins. I think it was after we beat Leeds on the opening day of the season where we started to take with Hammond and Cork in the middle. And, and um, 
Adkins said in the post-match interview. So like, yeah, you got Hammond, you got Cork, and then you've got Morgan Schneiderlin, who's probably the best player in this division who can't even get on the pitch at the moment. And it, it was true. I mean, you look back at the team that we had and you look at the players that we had, and as you said, you can't really believe that we had that quality of player in the leagues that we did. Yes, they grew as the seasons went on. Yes, they got better in their own game. But even... I would say that Morgan Schneiderlin was playing at a Premier League level down in League One. Yeah, or well, he was certainly able to. Um, and, and then he got to the Premier League. And, and you know, we bought him as, a, I think, a 19-year-old. So we made him the player he was. Um, and he ended up getting into the Premier League with us. And again, his position was never questioned. He was, he was never, I never felt he was troubled by the likes of, you know, even someone like Stephen Davis, Ward Prowse, who's won this, but young Ward Prowse. You know, players came and went. Um, players came, didn't work out for them. Like the classies, you know, and, and Morgan Schneidlin ended up leaving us. Is one of those players, one of many in that kind of um, season where, where or, well, he left he didn't go when, when um, Lambert, Lalana, Shaw, Lovren, Nail went. We managed to just about keep hold of him and just said, look, give us one more season. And he gave us an unbelievable season. He was so good under Pochettino in that press um, off the ball. But on the ball, he was the hub. And, and, and as I said, in, t in terms of possession, we were a good passing team. He was the main reason for that. Um, and like you said, you know, I, I, was, I thought about that Newcastle goal just before you mentioned it. That's the goal you think about curled in the top corner on the chapel end. But he, he, as he went up levels, he got better and adapted his game, got more goals in a, in a, in a really good side. Um, and it's quite funny to think that we had him in the, that administration era, League One. And actually, in the end, we were begging to keep hold of him in the Premier League. And Morgan Schneider was one of those players where it, it went badly for him at Man United. Um, a few players had that. Grass isn't always greener. And we all wanted him back. We were like, oh, it didn't work out at Man United getting back here. Oh, he's going to Everton. Why is he going to Everton? Bring him back here. Even when it didn't work out at Everton, we were like, it's probably a place for Morgan back here. Yeah. Um, he, was, he, was, he was that good. Uh, but the winner is the captain, current captain, um, Academy graduate James Will Prowse. I voted for him, um, and the reason I voted for him is I don't. He's not necessarily better than Schneiderlin um, or Davis in those sort of. He's, it, you know, certain aspects he's he's brilliant at. He gets pigeonholed for me as a set piece taker. Um, if he wasn't a set piece taker, he'd still be starting for us. That just that's that's an extra because he's the best in the world probably at it um there's not many players we've had that are the best at something in the world so that's one reason he, but he's the captain the fact that he used to be a pompey fan and all the rest of it and yeah it's, it's, it's great he's one of our own came through the through the academy but it's is his progression and i think the best is still to come from war Prowse because what's been unfortunate for him is that he's he's played in a team um that wasn't playing well. So, you know, the, the, the kind of peak war prowess that we've had when he grew from a youngster into a first-team player, and he always struggled to get in the team because he was trying to get in. He was young. He was trying to get in the best Southampton teams of all time. Uh, well, Premier League era. 
and he couldn't get ahead of some of these players. And then once they left, that's when he got his chance. But it was Pellegrino that really started started getting him first team football, even after Puel and then the Mark Hughes, and you know, it was all going to shit really. And he was playing in poor teams, and now he's playing in a in a progressive good team under a quality manager who's getting the best out of him and now's where we're going to see Ward Prowse get better and better and better um, so I voted I voted for him with an eye on the player that he's going to be as well as what he's already delivered us uh, and that's the reason he got my vote Okie dokie. So let's move on to the attacking four. I want to start with the right-sided attacking mid because we've had a lot of discussion about all of the positions and all of the options, but I don't think we even need to spend a minute on discussing just why the person who did win it um, was was there. I think it's a case of if you didn't vote, if you voted for anyone but him, what are you doing? Yeah, um, I did, and I was trying to find the position on the pitch for him because he's just a, a magic man, isn't he? Just in the in, in that number ten role, um, free role. We had options. We've had good players in that position. Um, it's unfortunate for them because it would have been a decent little vote between some of the players we've had if uh, Lagod wasn't one of the options, our best player of all time. We've had um, Berkovic. We played in uh, in alongside the winner, um, sort of mid mid to late nineties. Fabrice Fernandez um, would always find a way of uh, turning down a, a cross with his right foot to turn three hundred sixty degrees and play in with that left. But he was effective and he was a good bloody player. Tadic again, right sided midfielder, left footed, provided a lot of good goals. Him and Pella one of the best attacking partnerships I think we've ever seen. Um, but as I mentioned, uh, the winner, 90%, biggest landslide, even more than the Amy. Um, you raised your eyebrows when I said Lagarde, not not sure why, but yeah, Matt, Matt Letizier with the uh, obvious win. I was, raising my, I, was, I was raising my eyebrows because I thought, surely we were talking about Fabrice Fernandez here. <laughs> Matt Latiz, country mile, best player Southampton have ever had uh, at any time. And um, uh, yeah, hugely underrated by England because he stayed with Southampton. You don't get that loyalty these days. Um, Catalogue of goals. No one's got a better... YouTube video than Matt Letizier, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Saints fan. Um, we don't we don't need to sit here and talk up Matt Letizier because um, it's it's teaching people how to suck eggs. Uh, you know, and and what's what's testament to him is that he is probably I'm trying to think of the winners, but I think he's the only player. Yeah, he's the only player post. Um, oh no, Niemi's in there, but he's mm. certainly the only player from the 90s that is in this team. Mm. Um, and a lot of our listeners, well, we're 2020 now, a lot of our listeners wouldn't even have been alive when he was playing. And he got 90% of the vote yeah. because he was that good. Um, and we've stuck him on the right midfield. Because we've got to find somewhere to put him on the pitch. And I think... Well, we don't really need to discuss that anymore. Let's go over to the uh, the left side now. Um, this one was also a bit of a a bit of a landslide victory. 
and this one was also where we were struggling a little bit to think about who to put as those left mid options and some yeah. of them, some of them were a bit shoehorned in we won't deny that um bit of chat about whether nathan redmond should be in the four because we thought that might cause a bit of controversy on uh, on twitter but well you wanted redmond i did want i i, I, I did want i wanted redmond. i wanted a i wanted a nod to the uh to the 1990s but what we did realize was that it mattered little because there was only really going to be one winner um that's the way it turned out yeah absolutely and uh well he's now one of the best players in the world as well and unfortunately he is on Merseyside as well um along with another option that we did provide actually no no because he's gone now he was on Merseyside for a little bit but Adam Lalana has yet again managed to um um what's the word be injured for a South a game against Southampton so um, he injured is he? I was about to say we might watch him tonight okay so Redmond Lalana, Chris Marsden who uh fond memories of Chris Marsden but unfortunately doesn't meet the standards of the likes of Lalana and Mane is that player you're talking about um Redmond one percent of the votes unsurprisingly love to know who voted for Redmond <laughs> let us know um Chris Marsden got five percent some of the uh some of the old school fans might remember Chris Marsden, good, good player um, back in the day. Scored a great, one of the funniest goals you'll ever watch against Ipswich. Find it on YouTube. Um, just laugh at the last toe poke because he seems to take on half the team, including the goalkeeper, whilst running in a straight line. Um, brilliant. Uh, yeah, really good player. Adam Lalana. I feel like he might have got more of the votes if he wasn't Adam Lalana. If you know mm. what I mean, you know what he did for us phenomenal you know played saints academy um came from bournemouth didn't he through the saints academy got him um in sort of 2007 8 was when he was started coming into the team same sort of time as morgan got relegated and then he and schneidlin amongst others um uh, lalana was a cut above you talk about schneidlin i mean lalana was way too good for league one way too good for the championship um and in the end might be controversial but he you know he was too good for us and is why he got to go to um to liverpool um didn't quite work out in the end for him there um yes he had he had a good time there but he just got pushed out in the end by the man who's just pushed him out of uh, this vote um his replacement at southampton another one of those kuman signings um, Lalana got 29% of the vote and was 65%. Sadio Mane uh, is the left-sided attacking midfielder for uh, for the Saints. Yeah, and he was part of probably one of the best deadline day for Southampton. I mean, bringing in Alderweireld and Mane yeah. at the 11th hour. I mean, that's uh, you've you pretty much bought two first-team players that are a cut above the rest of the squad on the last day of the transfer window. Yes, Mane, when he did come in, was raw. Um, and I think a lot of the time at Saints, he still was a raw talent. He was obviously maybe a bit... Um, uh, what, what, what's the word for the attitude? Uh, maybe 
immature, as Kuman said, turning up late for team meetings. And obviously with Kuman, that was a very big thing because even though he was one of our, probably our best attacking player in terms of creativity and causing the defence nightmares, he wouldn't play if he, if he was late for the team meeting or that's what we that's what we heard. But if you're late for the team meeting, you're not you're not playing. So there was obviously a discipline issue behind the scenes. But on the pitch, it, it's weird. For the first year, he certainly blew hot and cold with Saints fans. Some games he could be absolutely dreadful. Some games he could score a hat trick in the quickest time in the uh, in in Premier League history, a, a record that still stands. But yeah, considering what he did in the, that that next season, I mean, he was. He started the season on five, I remember, and then he was on the bench for quite a few games because that was when we went through that terrible run and then the amazing run at the end of the season where he scored a hat-trick against Manchester City, um, scoring goals all over the place. Phenomenal player. Disappointed to see him go to Liverpool. I thought we could maybe keep him for a year longer, especially after finishing above them and qualifying for Europe. Um, It would have been great to have seen him play in that side. But... Uh, it wasn't to be, but still, when you think about all-time be- great players to play for Saints in the Premier League, Mane is head and shoulders above a lot of them. Yeah, he's got to be in there. Um, he is in there. I voted for him. Same uh, you. Same you. Oh, we both voted for Letizier. I assume you, were, you weren't the 1% who voted for Berkovic. Um, so, just just to go back on that. So, yeah, we're... Um, yeah, Easy. As, as difficult as the central midfield positions were to choose, these wide men were the easiest. Sadio Mane, I mean, the hat-trick was ridiculous. At times, that team under Koeman was unplayable in the Premier League for any team on its day. They beat Sunderland 8-0 on a day which was just ridiculous. He scored a hat-trick in less than three minutes. How would you even do that? The amount of time that it takes for players to celebrate the ball to come back for kickoff on the, on the second one, right? Villa players probably don't even want to play. <sighs> yeah, how we managed to do that? He's electric. Tadic, Pella, Mane were a huge reason why we were so successful in that season. And I don't want to do him disjustice, but Shane Long actually worked very well in that system and had his best years. And I remember the third goal for him is when the, the, the third goal of that hat-trick was a really good back heel from Shane Long, then to Bertrand, back to Long, and then he pulled it back to the edge of the box. So um, as much as fans dislike his goal-scoring ability, Shane Long fitted that team actually perfectly, really, for what he did. Anyway, that's enough Shane Long propaganda for this episode. Yeah, yeah. And and in fairness, yeah, you're right. In, in that game, Shane Long did score the best goal on the day that Mane scored the fastest hatcher of all time. But um, he also set up that other goal because I remember he got taken out in the penalty box by, uh, by Shea Given and, um, and Mane scored there. But anyway, we, we digress. Yeah, Mane now. I was thinking earlier, actually, um, earlier in the week, that Everyone now knows Sadio Mane as, as a Premier League winner, um, uh, as a Champions League winner, as one of the best players for one of the best teams in the world, or maybe in the, ever in the Premier League. And I remember when you were reading up in the local newspaper or forums that, um, that Saints were linked with Sadio Mane from... Um, was it was it Red Bull Salzburg or someone like that? And 
And yeah, we, I remember for a considerable amount of time, we all thought his name was Maine. No one even knew anything about him, but we went for him because our scouting was that good. We lost Alana, we got him in. Pella, Apella and Tadic, yeah, you mentioned Long, but those were the three. Um, and in that team, at times, they ran riot. I remember that Chelsea game uh, away from home where, where we beat them, I think 3-1. There were days where we couldn't, they couldn't be stopped. And he was like the joker in the pack, Mane. Um, Pella and Tadic worked in tandem brilliantly. But Mane was kind of, you said he was raw, but he was like, he was so unorthodox in the way he played. Um, I can't really think of a player like him. And he seemed to be sort of all arms and legs everywhere for to start with. But the ball ended up going where he wanted it to go. And 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 although he never looked like he had control of it, no one could ever sort of stop him. And he was so bloody quick. And once he once he was coached by Kuman, he kind of refined those skills and learned how to harness them. It's like a bloody superhero on the pitch. And uh and he was so quick and then he went on to a different level. Uh, you got to remember when he left Saints for 40 million, 36 million, something like that. Everyone was laughing at Jurgen Klopp. We were rubbing our hands together because that was that was a lot of money back then, and mm. we were kind of thinking, 40 million, yeah, you can have him. He's you know he's still he's still very raw. Um, and then what he's done with him is 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 ridiculous. So yeah, Mane, 65 percent of the vote. He probably could have had more, but Lalana was a good player as well. He was. And now we're at the final two on-field positions. We've got the striker. Uh, let's head straight into it. Um, we, the first one is, again, sort of the, the ball winner, the, uh, the target man, the leading, the leading man. And this one, for me, is going to be probably my most controversial pick because I did not pick the winner. Um, wow. No way. I did not pick the winner, which I, I feel ashamed that I didn't. But I'll tell you my reasoning for you're it. You're going to have to, yeah, you're going to have to dig yourself out of this hole. Let's go, go through the four of them then. Let's go. This, well, at the bottom. Is this, is this our only, this is our only player that didn't get a vote? Well, in, in the whole thing. He didn't well, get a single got, vote. He's got zero, got zero percent. So no one Negligible, else did, so. negligible. Um, yeah, uh, Austin Stad in fourth. Um, was it, uh, who, who actually finished in second? Was it, was it Graziano? Pella got nine percent. BT got ten percent. So BT got ten percent, and then we've got um, Sir Ricky of Lambertshire at uh, at the top, who I didn't go for because I went for James BT instead. Oh wow! I, I thought I thought you were going to say Pello. I don't know where you were going. The fact that you didn't go Lambert, I thought this was after after Letizier is he, the most obvious pick. You know, I, I maybe Niemi. Yeah, after Letiz, I think he is. The next Southampton icon. Like, I I agree. Why, why I, BT? I agree with that. However, I was looking at just their Premier League years in this one. Lambert is a hero. He's a legend. I'm not putting that down. He is one of my favourite players that Saints have ever had, if not my favourite, um, for what he did in League One, in the Championship, in the Premier League, playing for England. Fantastic. But in terms of quality and actual how they did in the Premier League, Lambert still was superb. But you've got a 20-goal season striker in James Beattie. And that's the reason that I chose him, because I think in the Premier League, Beattie was a phenomenal player for Southampton. Lambert was as well. But I think in terms of ability within the Premier League, as a striker, Beattie 
is ahead for me. And now I'm going to go and sell my soul to the devil because that is obviously, um, I, I, I'm now going into purgatory. So I'm just going to light that fire now. Yeah. At T214 Murray, for any Saints fans that want to um, ask mail. him again why on earth he's not chosen Ricky Lambert. I mean, 10% of people chose BT. So, you know, they're my he friends. He wasn't, um, it wasn't a complete Austin stad on this. Um, Pella with 9%. Let's, uh, I'll talk about BT as well. He was a phenomenal player. It, the only reason he's, I didn't even think about him is because Lambert, what he did. Yeah, okay, we're talking about non-Premier League times, but he was the main man from the moment he walked into the club for a million pounds from Bristol Rovers in League One to transform our side and take us back-to-back promotions. And then we, we almost went on that journey with him, you know, from a guy who was really working in a beetroot factory and then Something he was like that, yeah. some fat bloke playing for factory. Bristol Rovers. <laughs> some, <laughs> some, some fat bloke playing for Bristol Rovers, scoring goals. And then Pardew got him physically fit and he was a machine. Um, and then he got to the Premier League and he was on the bench first game at Manchester City away. Comes off the bench. What does he do? Bang. Goal. Ricky Lambert could do it in the Premier League. Comes on, goes, goes and gets his debut for England. Go on then, Ricky. Go on the pitch. Got ourselves a, a corner. First touch. Bang. Goal. Like, everything he did was ridiculous. And we all did it with him. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, know what, I don't know how many goals he scored Premier League or what his record was in one season. Even in that season under Pochettino, Rodriguez was the was the top goal scorer. Um, you know, most people don't realise. So, but but again, that just that's a testament because it wasn't just about scoring goals either. Like in terms of holding the ball up and linking, which is a big part of of this target man striker that we're you know the big man, little man as we're trying to get up front. He was aerially one of the best strikers we've ever had. Pella probably is that best aerially. Um, but headers, never missed a penalty, took free kicks, scored important goals. He's just an all-round Premier League player. And then he got... And the only reason he left... He's one of those players that left in amongst all of that sort of exodus. Um, and he was the player that left with the kind of... Um, yeah, not encouragement, but the blessing of the fans and kind of did it yeah. the right way and said, look, horrible to leave. I'd never wanted to leave. I wanted to retire here, wrote that letter. But, you know, when it's Liverpool, it's the only team that I could leave for. And, and we were all like, you know what? You've done everything for us. So, so go and kind of live your dream before you retire. And he did that. And um, yeah, what a, what, a, what a player, Ricky Lambert, for, for this club. I don't know who would not vote for him um, in this. Is it um, is it time for me to? Uh, uh, is it is it too late for me to uh, to do my vote? I'm just going to pause. Too late to apologise. Too late to apologise. But we were supposed to talk about Pella, but as as Lambert is, um, you couldn't really you couldn't really gloss over him. But Graziano Pella was his replacement, um, and. He stepped big shoes to fill and he did it really well in his own way. 
He did. I'm actually, I'm a big fan of Graziano. I really, really liked him. I liked him before he came to Saints and the more I read up about him, I liked him even more. And I don't think Southampton have had um, a more beautiful or well-kept man <laughs> up front than Graziano Pella. I actually, there was a friend of mine who worked at one of the, uh, the New Forest hotels and he came in and she was just saying like, he's gorgeous, I want him. But it was the fact that his hair stayed in place for pretty much not a hair out of place um he's sort of like in Giroud level of of grooming just looked fantastic on the pitch and he was a bloody good footballer as well yeah scored, yeah that's it yeah he scored um sorry sorry i i i can i'll stop my gushing about graziano Start, i'm starting to think that jack cork shrine is actually uh, a joint one it's, it's a just joint. a warm-up for the graziano fella <laughs> main event Oh, don't talk about it. If you, if you could see out the window, you could see the light-up statue of it. No, um, really good footballer. Scored some fantastic goals. Don't need to tell you how good the one against QPR one was. And that was technically, that was technically superb, actually, because for a, guy, for a big guy to flick it up yourself and then launch yourself to, to just one-up Charlie Austin's incredible goal that he scored himself down the other end, to do it less than a minute later... Uh, one yeah. goal that actually sticks out for me for Pella is probably the one against Stoke in the yep. cup. 25 yeah, yards out. Say. 25 yards out, doesn't even look at the goal, just swings a boot at it and just curls it past Begovic absolutely beautifully. And he couldn't stop scoring. The only problem with Pella is that he scored all the way up to Christmas and then stopped. <laughs> he was running at a 90 degree angle to the goal as well. I remember he wasn't even, he looked like all he could do was play a pass to the right back uh, in front of him. And then he's just managed to, it was a mile out to get the power. No, he didn't score many like that, but he was he was a he was a target man. You know, if we're talking target men, that's what Pella was. The dream for Tavich, because all he had to do was cut inside. Well, he turned people inside out and and play to the padder to the crowd a bit. Dink it in the box. Try and mark against Graziano Pella. What was he? Six foot six. Absolutely like mountain. Yeah, he's a big unit. Um, and and you know what. It, it, Graziano Pella, that's what, that's what I've been saying and, and others have been saying since he left and still now. I know we've got Danny Ings. However, we've, we've been saying throughout this entire struggle that we've had, we never replaced Graziano Pella. You know, we were always so good at replacing managers like for like, replacing players like for like, but we never replaced him. We, you know, Lambert went, we got him in. Um, and then when he went, we, you know, we got in Charlie Austin. Like as you mentioned, we got we, we got him in, but it wasn't the big target man that we always had, um, and we'd always done well with, you know, Beatty, Lambert, Pella, getting in different types of players, and that's where we struggled. And they got Carrillo in. He didn't quite make the um, the the nominees list for this. Very close though, got, though. Very close. Yeah, though. I think I think even Osterstad would have would have outscored him. With the zero percent vote, so uh, yeah, yeah, Pella, Pella, fantastic. Um, shame, really, that he went off to China, but yeah, he he was a player that was was sorely missed on the pitch um, after he left, and uh, and he did score some some great goals, and again was a big part of that that great day against uh, against Sunderland uh, down at St Mary's. Um, let's go on to the last of the eleven. Um, the the little man in the big man little man front two we've gone old school four four two big man little man we've gone with Marion Pars the little Latvian 
everyone loves Marion. Uh, who, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Brett, Brett Ormerod. It's almost a strange choice for this because when you think about Brett Ormerod, you think, how is he in a vote for a team in a striking position of their best ever Premier League player in that position? But when he was playing with BT, he was excellent and we put him in. And if you don't like it, tough shit. <laughs> <laughs> two two percent of people liked it. They voted for him, um, and two percent voted for Jay Rodriguez as well, um, which goes to show, really, that, you know, Jay Rodriguez was a fantastic player in that um, in that era. Just a real shame he got injured. Um, yeah, but if he did, if he didn't get injured, it, yeah, he probably would have gone with the rest of them, wouldn't he? So, still playing now, Jay, back up at Burnley. Um, yeah, so 2% for them, and then you've got Marin Pahars, and you've got current goal machine, 20-goal season striker, homeboy, Danny Ings. Who did you vote for? Well. You. Who did I vote for? Who did I vote yeah. for? Well, um, obviously, Brett Ormerod, for me, was the, the standout choice. Um, although I was thinking about Charlie Austin because he is the best finisher at Southampton. Everyone knows that. Charlie knows that himself. Um, no, um, it's, got, it's got to be Danny, hasn't it? Another 20-goal another 20 striker. Um, we could be saying that about Jay Rodriguez had he not been injured because he was, I think he was on 17 and he was well on his way in the form of his life. And it was so sad that he got that injury because I think, yes, he probably would have gone. But at that point in that season, considering he started it really slowly, um, he was phenomenal, Jay Rodriguez. And I have to I have to put out there that he was incredibly quick and he's never been the same since that injury. He let, That pace was his key um attribute if i'm being completely honest and the fact that pace and his work rate in a pochettino side was like a match made in heaven he was he was like a uh, to compare to current players he was like a far a, a shane long who could finish that amount of energy that willingness to close down jay rodriguez at in his time at pochettino under hasenhutl now would be mouth-watering if i'm being completely honest to have that kind of player but it didn't turn out like that, unfortunately so. That's not how it worked out. Bahar's another great player, uh, a bit of a cult hero. We all remember the nutmeg against Jap Stam and then just putting it uh, past the keeper. Lots of lovely goals. Um, again, we all remember the goal against Portsmouth, cut in from the left, curl it into the far, into the far corner. But um, another man who has scored against Portsmouth and done it at the Fratton end twice in the space of 45 minutes is, uh, is Danny Ings. And right now, um, it's hard to look past him as overall, could he be the best Premier League striker that Southampton have had? So you got your vote? Yeah, I realise I've, uh, I've uh, added quite a lot of padding to that answer. But um, yeah, he just, just, just ahead of Ormerod for me. Just ahead of Ormerod. Wow. Brett Ormerod <laughs> had, one of the best, had one of the best songs um, regarding... Uh, Posh Spice and her um, off the field antics with yeah. uh, with BT and, and Ormerod. They were that in tandem. Um, yeah, we won't go into much more, but yeah, look, look it up. It's it a, it a great chant. Alongside um, the Chris Marston goal, just look that one up. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Ormerod and BT, in terms of partnerships, that's up there as the best ever strike partnerships. Um, Jay Rodriguez. 
criminally 2%, I think. That's way too low, isn't it? Mm, I mean, we can't complain because neither of us voted for him. However, um, and I do think he's third on this list. However, 2%, I think that's probably the biggest dish justice. Um, And I remember being at Craven Cottage when he scored that goal against Fulham. Um, I think on, on, and uh, I think of that, that goal and that game every time I think of how good that front four was with, with Stephen Davis as part of that front four. Um, it's always that, that goal um, and that game. Lambert with that ball all the way from his own half, whips down the line, cuts inside, boom, top corner. J-Rod, yeah, he would have gone, he, w- he would have taken England to World Cup glory in, um, Inevitably. in Brazil had he, uh, had he not picked up that injury. He would have done it from left wing back under Roy Hodgson as he seemed to be playing <laughs> against Chile. Um, Marin Pahars, the little Latvian, real cult hero. You know, a lot, of, a lot of teams in the Premier League from that era have those kind of, those Eastern European, you know, I think a lot of like Chelsea and, and, and uh, like diminutive sort of um, small attacking foreign players. Um, Spurs had a few. Pahars is that for Southampton, the little Latvian and the goal against Portsmouth. Uh, fantastic. Wonderful goal, one of my favourite goals. But Danny Ings got my vote, and he got the vote of 71% of um, you guys. Um, and uh, I think it was pretty obvious. You know, you could talk about the recency bias and everything else, but I don't think that comes into it because... Not at all. Not at he, all. He, it probably gets him a few extra percent, but he's what he's doing on a consistent basis is a cut above what those other three did on a consistent basis. This may be harsh on Pahars. He did play in the later years. He had that injury later years. He played from left midfield, like we we're talking about Anders Svensson, but Danny Ings kept us up, um, leading the line. Just phenomenal all round player. I hope he signs that contract. And um, back in the squad um, for the Brighton game. And I, 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 yeah, strength to strength with Danny Ings, goal scoring, like I said, 20 goals for the team that he was in. Um, he's, he's exactly what Hassanus wants, works hard. It's very similar in ways to um, Ormrod, um, not Ormrod, big pardon, uh, Rodriguez, like off the ball, that kind of work ethic you talk about. But he's a centre forward, he's a finisher. Um, and he is the leader of this team um, <clears throat> without being the captain. He's, you know, he's, he's the main man. He scores the goals and, um, and his link-up play, he gets the best out of players like Che Adams and those around him. Um, and Danny Ings is the man who completes the 11 um, for Southampton. Anything you want to add on Danny Ings? Uh, he's going to come off the bench and score tonight. Local lad, too. Local lad. Local lad, exactly. But, Callum, I want to... Let's end on a couple of quick questions. First of all, this may, not be, a, this may not be a quick... It may not be a quick answer, but you... Sorry. We haven't done the manager. I was just going to get on to that. I was <laughs> going to get on to it. I was going to ask... It may not be a quick question, but all great teams, he's a great manager. There's four to pick from. Um, if I'm being completely honest, the vote was wrong. The wrong person got it. If I'm being completely honest, he's a, he's great, but I don't think he I don't think he is 
the best that we've had yeah, in the Premier League. I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, I wonder if we picked. I I think you picked the same person as I did. Um, we, I mean, it's a it's a hall of fame of managers. Um, last with only four percent, and I'm afraid that is because he was pre relegation. And generally, the teams in that time were not that great. Since then, we've had the glory days, really. But in, in with only four percent in fourth place, fourth place was one of my favourite managers ever. Not just because of the success and the way we played, but because of him as a character. Um, the kind of just hilarious little ginger Scotsman. Um, I remember uh, still people had the old the, the tartan hats with the fake uh, ginger hair, I think, especially for that final uh, in Cardiff. Um, Gordon Strachan, unbelievable manager. Um, I th- he's in my top three favourite managers, I think. 4% he got on this vote. However, the guys above him are pretty decent too. In third place, despite the majority of this team being players that A, bought to the club and B, he assembled into such a good team. Ronald Koeman only got 20% of the vote. Uh, In second place, third second place, 32% of the vote was Mauricio Pochettino. And we all know what he did. Uh, um, changed, changed the landscape of Premier League football. Full stop. Not just Southampton. Um, and it was a real pleasure to follow the team and us to be the team that kind of started that way of playing. In in many ways, um, other teams have pressed before us, but not in the way that Pochettino did it. Which leaves forty five percent of the vote. Um, and I do feel that this is. You know, similar to what the Carl Walker Peters vote would would have been had we put him in. We have to put him in because he's doing a stellar job and he's our current manager, and he's got forty five percent of the vote, and he's the winner, um, and he's Ralph Hasenhutl, and he is on the trajectory to potentially warrant that space as our. But is he our best ever manager in the Premier League? No. no. Uh, but he, he got the vote. Now, you know, he got the vote of, of um, football Twitter, Sampton fans. Um, although all this, you can't even say it's an age thing because you, they all saw Pochettino, they all saw Koeman. I just think right now we're all so in that kind of buzz and that positive way of playing. And it's been so shit for the last three, four years. Crap managers and boring football and he's taken that and he's turned it on his head um, and I completely get why people are in love with him and how he plays and why they voted for him um, and and he's getting back to that kind of level that we were playing under Pochettino, uh, Pochettino and under Koeman um, but he's only done it for a short period of time uh, he Started last season appallingly. Saved was was they were generous to keep him in a job. It was the right decision, but uh, you know a lot of clubs would have got rid of him. He 
post-lockdown, well, after Christmas sort of time, uh, December, started to pull it back. Post-lockdown, brilliant. Haven't looked back since the start of the season. Uh, got us up to top of the Premier League. Only manager to do that. So, you know, that's, that's, that's one stat that backs up this vote. Um, and currently, we're about to play our game in hand and could put us in fifth place, I believe. Yeah, fifth so, place. Fantastic what he's doing right now. Do it for a whole season. And then some. And then come back to me. And my outlook might be a bit different. Yeah, I'm completely the same. He's doing a wonderful job. He's turned it around after, as you said, so many bad years, so much insipid, boring football, such negative football. He's turned it around completely. And again, we could potentially go fifth tonight. Um, in terms of the best manager Saints have ever had, I voted for Kuman because... He got us European football two years in a row. Um, uh, he, yes, he did have money to play with and he did have players to, to bring in, but we've shown in the, the years after that that you got to spend that money wisely. And he got also lucky that those players clicked instantaneously. That is a rarity in football. That doesn't happen very often. And he took us from a team that had just been completely disassembled relegation favourites almost or certainly going to be down there to be in the fight and then we were um, pretty much keeping on Chelsea's sort of coattails as it were for the majority of Koeman's first year and then that uh, inexperience of and fitness wise and the fact that we could, then it caught up on us that the how good we'd been that we couldn't keep that up and then almost the season after it was a complete reversal of that because we started awfully and then ended it in ridiculous form. It did help that other teams were not playing very well that year. But still, to, you know, to finish that season fifth and then Man United had their game in hand and we finished sixth was phenomenal. You're talking about a team that was three point, as you said previously in, episode, in a previous episode, a team that finished three points off Champions League football. Under Koeman. Yeah, um, same. I voted for him too. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's a contest the more I think about it. he Highest position we've ever had, sixth. Three points off of being in the Champions League. Ridiculous. One win. Like one, I think it was a bit of goal difference, but one more win out of all of that. 9-0. Never happens, <sighs> but you know. He, we won that 8-0 game under him. Remember, remember when he sat in his sat in his chair, just like that, just smuggest grin. He he was the he him and Strachan were the top two in terms of characters mm. um, that I liked as, as managers because he was funny. He was arrogant. He did you know he'd, he'd, his interviews after a you know, match of the day. He'd be kind of like that kind of Dutch pompous mm. kind of yeah yeah we're good yeah we're good. What about it? Um, he here's here's why he's our best ever manager for me. People say, oh, he had money to play with. What he had was a complete exodus of our best players. So he had the nucleus of a squad ripped out. The manager that put them together, gone. He comes in, he's got what's left, and they say, here's a bit of money. You know, what was it? 80, 90 million, that, you know, you know, we, we're getting rid of players for 25 million and he's replacing them with 8 million pound players and, and don't, he's getting, 
So Go I was on. just going to say, and don't forget, with the Exodus, he's also, we've got no fit striker that we're willing to play at that point. Rodriguez is out for a year and a half, and Osvaldo, we don't want to touch with a barge pole, and Lambert's yeah. gone. So we've, yeah, so, so, yeah, we've lost all these players, and we're not going to name them and list them again, because we know. So we've lost all of them, and he's brought in his own signings. We had the black box, and it was brilliant, but players like Pella and Tadic, um, I think even Mane was, was, he had a lot to do with, and he's replacing these players, and he's, he's bringing them in. And then, like you said, they don't always jow. He says maybe luck. I don't think it's, I think you make your own luck. Uh, he's brought in players that he knows. He knows what Tadic does in the Dutch league, and he knows what Pella does. And Koeman's someone who hadn't really done a lot as a manager. So when we got him in, it was no great shakes. We, no, you know, we weren't like, oh, this is a real coup. We knew he was a good player. But he's been in the Dutch leagues, and he's like, that guy's unbelievable on the wing. A wizard, he can cross it, phenomenal. That guy's unplayable in the air. I've got a little bit of money. I'm going to bring them both in, and they are going to get us so many goals. He took over a Pochettino team that were had a real obvious identity, um, and were on you know on the right on the end of the scale in terms of just high pressing, um, full throttle football, and he kind of harnessed that and found a way to still play well in an attacking way, but without negating de defence. So we were still organised. So we were good at defending and we could score loads of goals, which is ridiculous for us. Um, and he's the only manager I can ever remember where I, ne I never had an issue with the team he put out. Mm. Like, as, as, as fans, we're, we're all pretty much there in agreement, maybe one or two players here and there we might choose for a game, but we know who our best team is. As Saints fans, we always know who the best team is, and there were never any surprises with Koeman. I'd always get the, I'd, I'd say that you know this should be the lineup. You guys would put it on Twitter all the time. Well, this should be the lineup, and the amount of times that you know Atkins, Pochettino, all the Joss since, uh, even Hassenhutl to an extent. You'd be thinking, bloody hell, I don't expect him to play. Or, oh, where's he, where's he playing him? I don't know where he's going to play on the pitch. With Koeman, you knew. 4-2-3-1, mm. you knew who was playing. If we were playing a certain team, you're like, actually, we could probably do with him playing there because he's got a bit of this, he's got a bit of that. You'd look, Koeman's playing him. Rotation, you'd always get it right. So that was the main thing. When I knew he was getting the team right every single week, and we got there, and we were confident of winning. Um, and we were on our day, we could beat anyone in that division. It was a hard division at the mm -hmm. time, um, and we did beat everyone under him. And we were really unfortunate not to um, not to get that Champions League football. That that just sounds laughable, Ridiculous. really yeah. now. But yeah, it, he he got it right. Um, and you know what? You don't always get it right because he had too much money to spend when he went to Everton and he got it wrong. But with us, he got it bang on. Um, and I get the Ralph thing and I'm loving what he's doing. But it's all about longevity and it's all about time and it's all about delivering over a whole season. And that's what Coombe did. It is. However, Ralph was the chosen one and that concludes our team of the best Premier League era Southampton team. So I'll just go over it again. Manager, Ralph Hasenhutl, as voted for you by the fans, 
Niemi in goal, a back four of Klein, Font, Van Dijk, Bertrand, and then a midfield four of Letizia, Wanyama, Ward, Prowse and Mane with Lambert and Danny Ings up front. Callum, a final question before we wrap this up. Where in the current Premier League table, where does that side finish? Um, that side finishes... You know what's funny as well is that we don't even get to put players like uh, Bale in there or, uh, you know, say Walcott, we could technically, but, you know, Oxlade-Chamberlain, all those ones that have gone on because they've never played for us in the Premier League. You often see that, don't you? Those pictures mm. on, on social media of, oh, if, if they didn't sell anyone ever, look at the team they'd have and people think that could, that could win the league. That team that you've put there along with what would be a decent squad, would, would challenge for the title, for sure. Um, I agree. I'd, I think it would definitely be top four. I think the only thing is, a lot of that were a team together, but I think you put Niamey in goal, I think you add Letizia to it, you put, put Lambert and Ings in with that defence and that kind of midfield cover. Um, yeah, yeah, that could definitely push on. Um, and, and managed in that formation by Hasenertel, which I guess it fits nicely because the rest of them don't play a 4-4-2. Um, who captains that side for you lastly, Tom? Um, I think Jose. Yeah, I'll I with you on that. Jose, Jose captains that one. Um, leader from the back. And I agree with you where, it, where, it, um, where they finish. I think definitely top four, possibly challenging for the title, but, you know, the teams that are challenging for the title are still full of quality players. And we need to remember that when they did play together, the majority of this team, it, you know, we finished three points off the Champions League. So I think we're looking at more of a, a fourth place finish, if I'm being completely honest with you. But that does conclude our Saints best 11 of the Premier League era. Thank you very much for participating in all of the polls. We've really appreciated lots, hundreds of you have got involved and that's fantastic to see. We may do a, a, a different poll going forward because we've really enjoyed debating who should have been in the side and going down memory lane for some great and fantastic moments that these players have brought up. If you want to contact the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at under underscore saints. You can find myself, Tom Murray at T214 Murray. You'll find me at Callum Wilson 21. Um, you'll find the podcast uh, on the Podbean as we usually put it out. Uh, let us know what you think. Let us know what you think of those polls. Any ideas that maybe we could do in the future? It's great to, to do one with a bit of fan interaction um, as you know, thousands of votes went in on this. So um, it, it was a great pool to choose from um, and uh, definitively the best Southampton 11 in the Premier League era we've had a lot of fun putting this together um, so yeah uh, yeah, you can find us on Twitter as Tom said and that's where we will put the links for this podcast have a good evening